2: spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom it's time for the down and nerdy podcast here's your host james with celebrating a crisis with a little help from my friend it's episode 448 of the down and nerdy podcast i'm james with yeah this would have been the week that Crisis on Infinite Earths, the Arrowverse crossover aired at that happened a few years ago. So I thought this would be a good week to look back at the Eraverse a little bit with with some help from my friends and, and Manny Gomez and Teresa and Megan from Beautiful Ball, and all, also Josh Lapin and Bertoni from DC Comics.com and Popverse. We're all going to get together, going to sit down and talk about something that we love, and that's the Arrowverse. Some of our favorite moments, favorite things about the Arrowverse what the future is, where things went wrong, kind of what the start of the downfall of the Arrowverse was. So many more of that stuff. And this is the first of many of these to come to. Going to look back at the Arrowverse a lot more often. So hopefully you will stick around for that, especially if you're an Arrowverse fan. This is something I really think that you're going to enjoy. Also going to talk to showrunner Erica Messer from Criminal Minds Evolution. Yeah, we're a few episodes in now. So I want to kind of get, get the skinny on what we've seen so far and what the future might be. For this season. I know Criminal Minds fans have been chomping to the bit to find out more. I'm going to try and do some digging for you. Also, going to give you my spoiler-filled review of the series finale of DC's Stargirl. I'll let you know what I thought of that. But I can't wait to start this Airverse retrospective, calling it Crisis on Infinite Shows. That's right. I'm going to talk to Airverse with a bunch of my friends next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Christine Adams from Black Lightning, and you're
3: listening to the Down a 30 Podcast.
2: So the Arrowverse has been around for a long, long time. Maybe not the way it used to be, but certainly a lot of history there. And, you know, I, I have so many fun conversations at Comic-Cons and things like that with my friends. And I thought to myself, why not just let's bring everybody together and let's talk about the Arrowverse. So I brought all my friends together from Comic-Con. I'm going to start with... The man, you've probably seen his work on dccomics.com. He's with Pop First right now as well. It's Josh lappin Josh, say hello.
4: Hello, everybody. It's good to see you without having a couple over our shoulder. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. They're always
2: kind of looming in the background. Yeah. <laughs> we also have from LRM Online, he's also a TV producer in the Central Valley of California. It's Emmanuel Gomez. Manny, say hello.
3: Hey, hey guys! It's good to see you guys virtually. Although it, may, it does make me miss you guys a little bit more, because usually there's a lot of anxiety that goes in with seeing you guys. Well, it, <laughs> yeah, it's
2: it's it's definitely good to to see everybody in a little bit more relaxed setting. Oh yeah, Comic Con, <laughs> that's for sure. And then you've probably seen their work not just in the nerd world, but I mean, pop culture. It just seems like they do everything at Beautiful Ballad. It's Megan and Teresa. Hello to both of you as well.
5: Hello. Oh, hi. It's finally nice to. See everyone after a couple of months.
2: I know that's the thing that that kind of is great but sucks about these things at the same time is that we don't get to see each other very often. But at the same time, being able to do stuff like this virtually, we we at least get to see each other more than once a year now. So that's one of the things that I love about stuff like this.
0: There's also a lot less anxiety, as Manny said, you know, we're now <laughs> oh, no that doubt. we're virtual instead yep. of like, where are we going? Oh, I have to be here. Bye. See you in five minutes. And then the security guard creeping in the background.
4: Yeah. Or like the press room is in three days and I haven't gotten my confirmations yet. It's like, did you guys get a confirmation? Or are they are they ghosting me? Or is it just they not send it to everybody? Like, well, no,
2: at least we're not being or, thrown or, off the third floor of a hotel this time. So that's always
3: good. Or one of, one of our personal favorites is, hey, I got to go to another press room. You, you mind uh, recording this for me real quick? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what Can it you,
5: is. Can so you for, send me the audio?
3: That's right. So for anybody that doesn't know the life, that's what the life is right now.
2: But I mean, we're, it's funny because we have this group text that goes sometimes. And one of the things we were talking about the other day was the Arrowverse. And, I, and we, we all kind of said, you know, let's just talk about this. Let's, let's go ahead and jump into this and, and actually talk about it. So I think we'll kind of start it this way and kind of go around the room, whoever wants to start. Like, what's the thing that just made you a fan of the Arrowverse in the first place? Can you kind of like remember that moment? It's like, yeah, this, this is going to be something for me. I'll
5: go. Mine was the... We I guess the first season of Arrow and the introduction because I was a huge Smallville fan, um, and then they said they were going to do a Arrow centric uh, show and that would be the kickoff of it. So I said, all right, you know, good looking cast, good story, I like uh, Green Arrow, so I jumped in and immediately fell in love.
2: Maybe we should go to Teresa next. There we go. Yeah, we'll do that one.
5: I was gonna say, yeah,
0: for me, mine was the Flash. Surprisingly enough, I watched Arrow. I didn't nearly, you know, fall in love with it as much as Megan did. But there's something unique about the Flash that really drew me in in the first season. That there's just a spark to it that you know reminded me a lot of Smallville and kind of going with a very original, creative, unique way that. Yeah, that just kind of caught my eye and really made me invested in it.
3: Manny, how about you? I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to agree with it. For me, it was at the flash. It was Wentworth Miller's Captain Cold just captivated me. He just he just seemed to be on another level as far as playing the character. Just I felt like it was higher than than even. For me, he stole the show. And the excitement I felt that I was going to be able to see a character like that on the Arrowverse kind of got me excited for what else was possible. And then, you know, you got crossovers, of course, with Arrow and Flash. And then so you, so you, know, you knew it was going to grow. You knew it was going to be bigger. It felt like I felt like watching comic books because it wasn't necessarily movie production level. But I got stories. I got to see characters. I got to I got to explore towns that unfortunately due to, you know, management yet over at over at Warner Brothers, I kept changing things and changing things is you were never gonna see the the rogues in the same in the way that you were gonna watch them in the flash. So for me, I think that was the that was the thing is to be able to explore. A universe that that i loved on on paper and now to be able to at least see them on my small screen
2: josh what do you think because i feel i kind of feel like josh is our dc historian of the group Mm because he always posts these cool like random comic book pages that you know i've completely forgotten about so i'm curious to see what josh has to say on this
4: oh man this is so much pressure well (laughs) like most of you it was the flash i actually sat out the beginning of arrow and It was because Green Arrow was never one of my favorite characters, but it was also because Smallville had just ended. And that was, like, a long show, a big investment. I love Smallville, but then all of a sudden it's like, I just finished seeing Justin Hartley do a live-action Green Arrow in primetime. Who is this Stephen Amell? And, like, why am I going to invest in another Green Arrow when, like, I just got done with, like, a long show where, like, this guy was on it for half of the 10 years? So I heard good things about Arrow but foolishly you know I sat out of it until Flash happened and like Manny said one of the appeals was the Arrowverse it did feel like watching comics because it felt like a universe there was not only the big yearly crossovers but it would be like little things like you know Cisco and Caitlin showing up on Arrow or Felicity showing up on Flash like little touches that made it feel more like a universe not just like crossovers in name only but another thing that was very important to remember about the Eraverse, which I'm sure we're going to go over a lot during this episode, is um, superhero TV shows were a really different thing before uh, Flash. Like Flash kind of embraced the comic booky nature of it. We had the costumes. We had the code names. Before then, superhero TV shows, it was always like a twist. Like, this is Superman, but before he's Superman. Even Gotham, it's like Batman before Batman. Or... These older superhero shows like the John Wesley uh, Ship Flash, like you'd have a few villains from the comics, but sometimes, you know, they wouldn't all have the costumes or something like the old Birds of Prey show where they wouldn't use the code names for the villain. Like even the Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck, like Bullseye was wearing like a long trench coat. Live action comic book media you know, for a long time was afraid to really embrace this stuff. And the Flash embraced this. That kind of was like almost the end of this. All superhero shows have to be like a teen drama or like a prequel or like the superhero show without the hero. The Arrowverse really raised the stakes.
2: And for me, I'll kind of piggyback on a lot of stuff that you guys said, because For me, I was a huge Green Arrow fan. I loved Green Arrow. I never thought in a million years I'd get to see Green Arrow in live action ever. And then, of course, Smallville happened. And then he gets his own show. And I'm thinking, wait a second. You're going to give me a Green Arrow show and that's the thing you're going to do. So I was like, I'm supporting this regardless. If it's rough, if it's not good, I'm going to apologize for this show until it it really gets itself going. And I kind of did that, I feel like, because the first season, like Josh said, I felt like Arrow was a bit teen drama-ish. And a lot of people were saying, Really? This is what you want. This is what you're going to watch. I'm like, No, this isn't what I want, but peel the onion. It's going to happen. Then Grant Gustin showed up. And I went, They got something here. They've got something. Now, the problem was with DC is okay, they've got something. Are they going to be able to do anything with it? And I think it wasn't just the flash for me. It was Grant specifically that they got that so right. And that is what to me helped expand everything and got us what we got. So while we all call it the Arrowverse, and I think rightfully show because Arrow is the flagship show, but without Flash, without that success, and without getting that specific casting right, and some of the subsequent castings after that, I, I don't think we're talking about this. I don't think we're sitting here doing this, and they've certainly had other successes after that, but I think it was, and I think you guys would agree, the Flash is the catalyst for this whole thing.
5: I think they understood the assignment. You know, they saw what wasn't working on Arrow, and then saw okay, well, you know, you've got a good-looking cast, so you're going to get people in that way. But let's bring in the comic, what people loved, and that was always the problem with the at least DC film slate. Is it got you know older and older? Is it forgot the comic and went its own separate way? And these were like, ah, uh-uh, we don't have to do the same thing you're doing. We're going to honor the comic, and the Flash did that.
2: There's less pressure on Arrow, too. I thought. I think there's less pressure in doing an Arrow show than doing a Flash show, but I think they also, that also let them level up a little bit pressure wise after the Flash started being successful.
0: Well, I also think there's a little bit of like less pressure on Arrow, even when it started because you had the success of Smallville. You had those fans who were like, give us more. We want more of the DC comic shows on TV. We want more, you know, maybe not more of that kind of style Smallville was, but they were desperate to get more of that content. And when Arrow started, I think they kind of have an idea of like, well, you know, we have that fan base, we have that built in fan base. And it wasn't until they started developing The Flash that they were like, now we really have, we have to keep that fan base and we have to keep them entertained. And we have to actually give them what they want, which was the comics.
3: I think also it was just smart casting where in some cases you knew that somebody wasn't gonna necessarily last very long. So you brought in, you know, a, a Mark Hamill to to redo The Trickster and, and kind of pay homage to, to an earlier Flash or you or you had you know, a variety of different characters that maybe you knew you didn't know, and you're able to get actors, you know, when they were kind of younger and and before they were doing bigger things. or you get people who just really worked well together. His name slips my mind right now. He played Heatwave. He obviously had a great relationship with Miller on um, Prison Break. And so you're able to partner them up and and they they continue to have that chemistry and you just build upon that. And and then that way, if a character works, you bring them back. If they had good, uh, you know, good reaction, you're able to bring them back on a future episode. If they didn't, they just didn't show back up again. You don't really worry about it. And I think that building on that on that on the flash then allowed Arrow to have a little bit more freedom to to do a little bit more in-depth stories instead of really having having the pressure of being the one show on. And then also then the flash showed that they could have that freedom to look at other characters farther into into depth. And like then they came Supergirl and then came, you know, some of the some of the other ones that because you can go in it with some confidence that you knew that now you're you've established a, fa- a foundation that you can do something even as crazy as Legends as tomorrow. And somehow that worked. <laughs>
2: Never thought that would have stayed on as long as it did, if I'm being honest. I mean, not necessarily based on the first season, because then they went off the rails.
4: And I think for the better, never
2: thought that would last as long as it did.
4: I
5: don't think they had faith in that show.
4: (laughs) It outlasted Constantine, Gotham, Black Lightning, (laughs) so many shows. Don't
2: get me started on Constantine because I could do the whole half hour just on why that show should have never gone away. But I, that was NBC. I get that a little bit different, and then they just rescued him and brought him into the Airverse. But don't get me started on Constantine. That that's a, that's a sore spot for me.
0: I do love how though they were willing to bring Constantine into the Airverse. They were like, you know what? If NBC is going to do him dirty, we're not. I mean, you see it now with the Flash and Batwoman. You know they're going to do him dirty. We're not letting go yet. Like that's they're going to we have a final season. She's going to be a part of it. And that's something that I really enjoyed about the Arrowverse is that they were willing to cross over with everybody. It didn't matter the network they were on. They were like, yeah, well, we want this character. They exist here. Let's bring them.
2: And the interesting thing about that, too, is that it's like they it's, it at least gave the appearance that they are listening to the fans, right? Fans love that. Fans love to say, oh, well, you know, we really love Constantine oh, well, we're just going to bring them over here because we, you, we know you love them in the first place. Like Manny was saying about Captain Cold, yeah, they loved Wentworth Miller and Dominic Purcell together on prison break. So they brought them both over and then they extended them on to Legends of Tomorrow when those characters kind of, you know, they, they kind of ran their course on the Flash. They found something else for them that just gave them that appearance that they were listening.
1: Yeah,
5: it's, yeah, and it's and a they,
2: shame it all came to an end. <laughs> well, since Megan opened the door.
5: <laughs> oh, no.
2: This is a good time to transition. So where did it all go wrong guys like seriously it's we're taught we're talking and everything's so great you had crisis on an infinite earth which was like three years ago and that seems like an eternity ago that that happened so like for you where did it all at least start to go wrong
4: it feels so recent though at the same time too like man crisis that was like their last gasp of like this big grandeur and then covid happened right after crisis that was when things kind of started to get separated then i've I've read a few analysis on all of this i don't think it's one thing that went wrong i think it's a variety of things and one of them was is um a lot of these shows just made a lot of money from like the deal that they had with netflix and when they started doing the in-house streaming i don't know what the difference in the number is but i can tell you that like yes these shows still get money for going to HBO Max, it's Warner Brothers paying another part of Warner Brothers. Money still changes hands. It's a weird thing. I don't understand all of it, but a lot of people think that like the show going to Netflix versus going to HBO Max like change like means that Warner Brothers doesn't have to pay. They still have to pay. They're just paying themselves through other things. It's it's all weird. But I know that Netflix is a big reason why a lot of that survived and they were able to like make a, mo- a lot of money at the CW through syndication because of the fact that it was, you know, part Warner Brothers, part Paramount. So I think not doing the Netflix deals for the new shows anymore hurt them. I think obviously Nexstar taking over and when Warner Brothers is not a part owner of the CW, they kind of lose that incentive to farm these shows out for syndication. It didn't matter how the ratings were on the network, as long as they were able to sell the shows into syndication or sell them to streamers, they were doing good. That's why if you look at like the ratings for a random episode of Riverdale from a few years ago, or even Supergirl, like, or some of these shows, they weren't phenomenal, but almost any CW show was getting renewed, especially when you like compare those like ratings to something like Walking Dead or whatever. Not there wasn't a lot of live viewers, but the show still had a lot of fans. I, I think that the Nielsen model's outdated, but that's a whole other thing. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's my that's my short thing of how it went wrong. I think that um Zaslov taking over is a small part of it too, because I do know that it's it's been reported. I don't have firsthand knowledge of this. This is just what I read somewhere the same way as you guys that CW actually wanted to renew Legends of Tomorrow, but it was Warner Brothers that like refused to do it, and that might have been like a Zaslav accounting thing or something. I don't even know if Zaslav was fully taken over by them, but that could have been AT and T being like stingy in anticipation of the merger with Zaslav. But you have Next Star coming in, you have Discovery coming in. You have no longer doing the Netflix deals, I think, all together in a post-COVID world. That was the perfect storm for the end of the Arrowverse.
5: Well, at the same time, weren't they creating, like, they wanting everything to go eventually to the DC Universe streaming, where Titans was originally, and Doom Patrol, and all of that, and... I think when they started to see, they weren't getting the subscribers they were hoping for. I think that kind of threw their whole mindset with the Arrowverse. And you started to see, especially with Legends. In my own personal opinion, I don't think Warner Brothers really enjoyed the show after like the first and second season and only kept it around for the fans. And that's why we got a shorter amount. It only ever premiered during their midseason season. Um, or was the last time, like the last show we would ever find out information on, which is a shame because it was probably, you know, top two for me of shows, honored the comics. The cast was great. And it was just a fun time, especially towards the end of it. So I think it was a whole kind of array of things that really just was like, well, we're we're starting to we got a little we bit off more than we could chew.
2: for me, I'll take a little bit different angle and I'll go a little bit further back. Season four of Arrow is when it started for me. Damian Dark, that whole season was i am awful. It was awful. It's, I'm a completist. have done so much. Here's the thing. I'm a completist and I, and I admit this, is that I'm the guy that buys the physical media and I got to complete the set, right? I don't have season four of Arrow. I can't do it. I won't do it. It's, <laughs> it's for, I can't do it. I'd love to. I'm about to buy and, it for you.
3: I was going to say, I'm going to send it
2: to okay, him. Okay, so this, now I'm going to get like five copies of it. So <laughs> I can't do Secret it because I, I can't stand that season for a number of reasons. And it's not because of what happened to, to Katie Cassidy and Black Canary and all this. It's really not about that. It's just nothing felt right to me about that season. Now, I felt like they started to redeem themselves in season five. And obviously they went on to have a good run after that. But it, it was at that moment for me where I was like, oh this can go wrong like first they were it seemed like they were doing no wrong before that in all of these shows because by then you know we've had flash and and legends had premiered after that i think i don't can't remember if supergirl started yet or not but Mm -hmm. it was one of those oh so this isn't gonna be perfect and not that i expected it to be but you saw something like that and it wasn't just a couple of episodes it was an entire season and you're going well well, how did that happen? So that's kind of what it was for me. And then there were like little sporadic pieces here and there after that.
0: Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that, James. I think for me, it was it was really arrow and the sense that they just kept it going. And I think it came to a point where they just oversaturated the market and the, they were going for quantity instead of quality, which is really what they were aiming for when they started. And so personally for me, when they, I just felt like they were just, let's just give it another season of Arrow. And it's like, no, cut your losses when you can, like cut it when it's like, leave it on a good note. And then I kind of felt the same way with Supergirl. I felt the same way. I kind of feel the same way with Flash, which is kind of terrible to say. I'm like, yeah, could we, you know, we don't need, what is it, the A season that's going on now, I think, seventh grade. So I just think they kind of just oversaturated the market and people were like, if you're not gonna give us good quality comic book content, then we're not here for it.
3: Yeah. I- I have to second that notion or third it at this point, is because after that season, I was like, okay, so what are you gonna do now? What what's going to top this? That that's gonna make it a compelling and worth my time to watch. And and you know, once you start introducing magic and, and things like that, it is didn't really belong in that show either. So it it, it kind of it kind of took the interest from Arrow away a little bit. It's kind of the same thing that happened with the Flash. After a while, he needs to be the fastest man alive. We can't keep giving him speedsters that are faster than him. And then on the open, this is a criticism I've always had is you cannot open the show saying you're the fastest man alive and never be the fastest man on the show. That's, that's and, so and, true. And so that that was I think that after a while that, that got that got really, really old and, and kind of repetitive. I mean, yeah, it's a speedster. So usually, you, you, yeah, there's great ones too, but they're they're always spaced out between rogues, between Gorilla Grodd. Thinker is another one. I mean, they did do them on the shows, but it, just just very differently. It sucks because Warner Brothers was like has been a hot potato, just changing ownership hands. And if it wasn't the DC Universe app. Then it was HBO Max. If it's not that, then now it's a now it's Discovery. It's AT and T. Really have no idea what to do with anything DC wise, and and uh, kind of having to cut their losses, trying different things. And I think in in that translation, they they kind of stopped caring about really the, the product they were putting on, despite the fact that you know Star Girl actually I I thought was pretty good. Swamp Thing was going to be a very very good show. Yeah and you can tell you can tell that first season exactly when that ownership change happened and they decided yep. to cut you you, there was that there was a moment i think it was like episode five or six where you do it was like oh that's where it happened that's where they that's where they decided it, it things were going to change and and Swamp Thing was not going to go on ahead because it was going to be such a bigger thing. They were supposed to introduce like the Justice League Dark and, and be- they had beautiful sets that they had made for, I remember designers saying like, yeah, it was supposed to last seasons. We never thought we were supposed to break this down for a long time. And, and yet there they were. And then unfortunately it changed hands again. And and now Zaslav has a very different direction. And and I, th- and I think at this point, what are you supposed to do? Star now owns CW. Technically they own me too. It, they own us all. <laughs> well, I I work for them, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> so it's it's just it's just something that, you know, we're just left of the the, the great memories of of the of the different shows and the different themes and, and the different stories that 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 they touched upon because maybe this is a different subject, but I I just don't I don't see it happening again anytime soon. Nothing like that will will happen maybe in our lifetime. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're listening to our Crisis on Infinite Joe's Airverse Retrospective here on the Dan and Nerdy Podcast. More from that coming up, but first, a quick word from our sponsor.
4: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Bantwine, coming January second, wherever podcasts are available.
2: Well, M- Manny talks about memories, and I think it's interesting that he put it that way. And I think that that kind of segues into the next thing I wanted to talk about, and that's that. Obviously, we've got some great things from the Arrowverse. They're kind of trying to half keep it alive, not keep it alive, life support type things. With some of these newer shows, and and you know, kind of su- Superman was hanging around, but honestly i mean as much as we've loved it over the years is it is it time is it time is it time to just kill it and 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 let this be a good memory and give us these characters in a different way what do you guys think
5: i think so (laughs) i mean i love superman and lois i really enjoy the take on it i didn't think i would i thought i would actually really hate it actually do not like it when they bring kids into any sort of thing you have to be a really good kid actor or actress to really win me over. Um, and this show actually did it in such a way that it made it important to have the, the Kent boys in it, you know, no matter how much though I love it, I think it's time you cut it. And we give it a couple of years and you know more than what they've done for like Batman with every seven like two years we get a new iteration of him. But give us some time and you know let people digest and then actually put out quality work that people are going to enjoy and that honors the comic but also puts a fun, you know, modern, maybe spin on it that everyone can relate to.
4: The Superman and Lois thing is interesting because had it not been for COVID that would have taken place in the Arrowverse continuity. Cause it was written and season one was shot as if it was like with the intention that this took place in the, you know, flash universe, the Arrow universe Diggle showed up and he referenced Oliver At one point in season two, they decided, yeah, this is a separate thing. But had COVID not happened, they were supposed to do a crossover with uh, Batwoman that season. And had that happened, that would have firmly planted the show more into the Arrowverse. So then it kind of would be continuing. Someone said something on Twitter that I thought was funny, but they, they said that this whole Superman and Lois thing, it would have been like watching Frasier. And then like one season in, Frasier would have said, I've never heard of Cheers. What's that like? which is <laughs> which which is so weird the whole like separating it from the arrowverse i i don't like that i wish they hadn't i respect their choice and you know and it's still a good show it's still a show i enjoy i don't like that it's separated from me cuz i like the legacy aspects there's kind of an investment when you're watching something that's in a shared universe that you've been following for years You know, like, you feel like you're watching the continuing story that you started when you watched that first episode of Arrow. It doesn't change the content of the episode. It doesn't change, you know, anything about the acting or the script. It just changes the way that you're viewing experiences. And it, it makes me a little sad, but I think that in more recent years, they've been separating these DC shows anyway. Like, we have, like, within the television shows, there's, like, five or six different universes, probably. Like, they're doing a dead boy detective show, you know, after they were on doom patrol this last year, but like, it's different. It's like not the same dead boy detectives. It's not like in the doom patrol universe, just like doom patrol had like the same cast from Titans, except for the chief, but it doesn't take place in the Titans universe. It's like a whole weird thing. And like star girl is in its own world, you know, but you have John Wesley ship as, as the flash, like, they've been moving away from the shared universe thing for a while like god now we have Gotham knights which would have been their like second bruce wayne is dead you know here are like the followers show
2: using the same exact storyline as the video game of the same name by the way and that's just it, it, you guys talk to each other right like there's a, there's meetings at some no okay well i guess we're not going to talk to each other it's just <laughs> weird because you're right it's like we're connected but no wait no we're not but but we are though but we're not. And I think that was part of it too, is that, okay, you guys need to make up your mind. So you did earth prime after crisis, which made sense in a certain respect because things were separate and you're like, no, 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 now we're together. And it's like, oh yeah, I remember that whole earth prime thing. We're, just, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to, we're going to go back to, you know, you're here and you're here and you're here. It's like they, they couldn't make up their mind what they wanted to do. And then we couldn't figure it out either. So we just went, okay, so who's where they created the illusion that we were all together. And then they ripped that apart and didn't tell anybody.
0: Issue with the multiverse and my issues with the multiverse is it's an easy cop out for a lot of people. And then they're like, we don't have any ideas, but we don't want to be a part of this universe. Oh, let's pretend they're not in the same universe at all. And then we don't have an issue. And it's like, no, we've, there's so many, there's so many different ways to approach it. But like I said, that's a can of worms I'm not willing to open when it comes to the multiverse. So, but I definitely agree with you that it was, at one point, they were all like, we're a shared universe. We got this. Everything's great. And then there was like, almost as though a switch went off. And it was like, things are beginning to end. And these newer shows were like, listen, we don't we don't want to be on the sink and ship. So we're separating. We're going to be our own universe in case the Arrowverse goes down. At least we're still here. And then obviously, CW and WB sank as well. So that wasn't good for anyone.
5: I was just going to say, but I think one show that actually did it well and- With, you know, coming out and like not officially saying they weren't a part of the Arrowverse was Black Lightning. You know, when it first came out, they kept asking, are you guys part of the Arrowverse, part of the Arrowverse? And the creators just were like, you'll just have to wait and see. You'll just have to wait and see. And they held off on that for the for at least the first two seasons. And then finally, when they started to kind of drop the hints that it was going to be eventually crossing over, they were like, well, it's a part of it, but it's going to be different it's coming in differently and they just kept doing that i think now you had all the shows all the creators are like no we're completely different we want nothing to do with them and so for fans that's just like well what was wrong what's wrong with it like why can't you be connected why are you offended
2: a lot of dust bunnies on those chairs and that justice league table too i can tell you that
5: oh yeah
3: (laughs) (laughs) i was i was gonna also mention the the black lightning story series sorry because because yeah that i remember being being with uh salim McKeel and a ask him the exact same question are you guys part of the, the universe or not and uh, and i remember one of the distinct answers was they don't want any distractions towards the message that they're trying to tell the stories they're going to tell because are you going to worry more about a crossover why isn't flash helping out why isn't this happening why is this story so 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 centric to this town but it was important to them to tell that story it was important for them to stay local and and see how a community deals with with adversity and with with all the trials and tribulations that all those characters were going to do. We were going to get a spinoff with with one of the other mm-hmm. with uh, with a couple of the characters from that show uh, from um, pain, pain Pain-Killer. painkiller Yeah, obviously that's kind of when when everything went down. And then I think towards the end, I think they knew that they weren't necessarily going to be coming coming back. And they were like, I right, yeah it. We're going to be in we're going to do this crossover. But I thought it was interesting that, yeah, they held they held off as long as they could maybe not necessarily because they didn't want to be part of a bigger universe but they didn't they didn't want they didn't want that weight in, to, to kind of overshadow the the stories that they were trying to tell and i think that's why that that was one of my favorite shows just because of of the care of the messaging and how it was packaged and it needed to be 100% different than anything else that was going on which was like legends which was a flash which had a little bit more you know lighter tone to it And yeah, it still had stakes and everything, but it wasn't, it wasn't, that's, it it wasn't talking about racial messages. It wasn't talking about education, school systems and uh, oppression and police activity and, and the relationship of that in the community. And, and, and so it was, it was trying to deal with a lot more grounded problems and issues that the other shows weren't doing. And of course, the beautiful thing about comic books is that every character is able to do different things. But then once you start mixing them up, you can cause some problems.
2: Yeah, that was kind of the blessing and the and the curse of the of the Arrowverse was exactly what you just said for sure. Before before we start to wrap things up here, I want to lighten the mood a little bit because we've all been very fortunate to, ta- to be at like Comic Con, talk to a lot of the members of the cast of all of these shows over the years. So, Josh, I want to start with you and we're going to go around the room. What's your favorite moment from an Arrowverse press room that you can remember?
4: <laughs> you know, Manny was just talking about Black Lightning and it made me think about it and I was going to bring up anyway. The best press events. I know you said moment, but I'm going to, you know, like. I know where come, you're going with this. We're full of, yeah, you know where I'm going with this. Uh, the Black Lightning premiere event that they did, which was called DC and DC 2018. That was, uh, I to the listeners, I don't know how I can like describe the scope of this. Because to truly understand how special it is. You would have to have like been with us at every other press event that we went to where like we're rushing all day. We don't have time to eat and we can't catch the panel because the press room, the panel at the end time. Then you go to this thing where like the press rooms are catered. There's an open bar. And when I say catered, I don't mean like, you know, lunchroom schlop. I mean, like good food. They did it up. They did. Yeah. And then they have closed circuit TV so that you can watch the panel while you're in the press room. And like oh, that was just phenomenal. And then um, there was an after party for the premiere at um, the Museum of African-American History. And like they had the casting through of the various Aeroversures there. That was every time it comes up on my Facebook memories, I make the comment like that was one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to do in my life unfortunately a lot of the people that were involved in that you know are no longer with Warner Brothers that was like two or three layoffs ago but oh what a what a time to be alive
2: that was a fun that was a really really funny event. did you did did, Megan and Teresa did you go to that do you remember No,
0: we went to the actual event itself we weren't there as press though that was like before we actually had the contacts at WB that we have now so we were there just as fans and that Whole event, I thought was it was so different for DC or WB, DC, the CW doesn't matter. It was so different for them to put on something like that. And just to be able to sit, be a part of it and see the cast and have them talk about, you know, just, you know, kind of more grounded stuff going on and more important messages that their shows were talking about. It was, it was incredible. Plus, DC never gets anything.
5: Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Megan, you go ahead and, and what was your favorite moment from a press room from the Arrowverse?
5: Probably anything, kind of to reiterate off you guys, anything Black Lightning, that was probably the most welcoming cast ever, always wanting to chat. Um, I had the opportunity to do a set visit down in Atlanta with them, and they were just just so you know, normal. You know, no one walked in with high heads thinking they were above anyone. They wanted to talk. They wanted to chat. And they were so excited about the show every time. Every time you went into a press room and you talked to them, they were like, "Oh, time is up. What? What do you mean? I'm not done talking. I want." And they would just continue it. So then, there—that's probably the cast I miss the most, being able to sit down and chat with, and those are where all my memories sit.
2: Teresa, what do you think? I, mean,
5: I always like you guys.
0: The Black Lightning press rooms were always just a really amazing time to be a part of the cast was always so welcoming not only that but not only just the cast but but the crew the showrunners everybody was just they wanted to talk to you they wanted to talk about their show and the message of their show and it was just it was so welcoming it just felt like family when you were there and like you said it's always nice black lightning was always on time too so that really helped us all
2: (laughs) Being on, You guys have no idea how important that is, being on time. That's for sure. Manny, it's a, it's a Black Lightning love fest. Are you going to continue that or you got another one for us? Man, I hate
3: y'all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, what, what am I supposed to say? It's Black Lightning. The the, the <laughs> amount of conversation that you can have about the show was different than the other shows. Nothing, not, not to take away from any of the other shows, but even, I mean, one of my favorite people to talk was, I think his name is Crondon. He plays Tobias Whale. He was very humble all the time. He was one of my favorite villains. He was very straight up. Sometimes it didn't even seem like a villain to me. And so to explore that with him, Cress Williams was always just, oh man, just just such a joy to talk to. And then uh Jordan Calloway and, and kind of and, and explore his some some of the stuff he's going through. Yeah, no, that that was my favorite. Those are my favorite people to talk to. And yeah, the 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 amount of things you're gonna talk about was went way beyond comics. And I always appreciate that. But I will say that one of my favorite people to meet. And I never, I didn't think that was going to happen. Was Katie McGrath, who plays Lena Luther, it, it was like so nice and and fun. And then I mean, just but but I can't, you know, Melissa Melissa Benos is also, they were they were they're so much fun. When the for the first time I got to meet them, it was it was a ray of sunshine. So that that always comes to mind pretty pretty quick. But it, it's nothing's ever going to beat. No cast is going to beat the, the cast of Black Lightning for me. There they were it they were it, they were it <laughs> i will agree that as as a cast they were just so amazing and so
2: welcoming but here's here's why i'm going to say the flash for me because there's a story that i have that i'm, I'm never going to forget this because it was one of my first press rooms that i ever did at comic-con because they were just being goofy they're being idiots that day and that when that made it more fun and tom cavanaugh you guys have talked to tom you know how you know little off the rails and wild he can be so he's sitting down he's doing his thing up from behind him comes Grant Gustin. Now, Tom doesn't see him. You know those press room chairs that they have at those tables. We've all sat at them. They're not huge. So Grant comes up behind Tom and shimmies onto the chair behind him, just slides into the chair with him, and then they both just make up a song, and they start singing two guys in a chair and all this stuff, and I'm sitting right next to them, and I'm getting all this, and I'm like, is this how it always works? Because you know I hadn't done many press rooms before, but that that moment to me, and just to w- watch the camaraderie between that group, and just how funny that was, and just how you know just random that was, and they were having fun. And at the time, anyway, that was the vibe of that show. Was that okay? Well, they really seem like they're having fun on the show. And then when I got there, and you're and you're you're meeting them, and you're talking to them, and you get to experience them in this different environment, you're like, oh, so they are really having that much fun, sort of thing. So to me, just that fun moment's one that I'm never gonna forget. For sure. And the the picture I have of that is priceless from that room. Every time I see it, it makes me laugh. Like Josh said, pop, pops up on your Facebook memories. It's just one of those things that, that I'm never going to forget. So I think we're going to wrap things up here for the airverse conversation. We could go all night, honestly. I mean, we could go for hours on this. We're going to wrap it up here. This doesn't mean it's going to be the last time that we're going to be talking about this because I know that there's a lot of ground that we didn't cover and we'll be talking about this from behind the scenes. So make sure if you guys don't already make sure you're following beautiful Ballad all over our social media, beautiful, beautiful is where you can find Megan and Teresa's work. As far as Emmanuel Gomez is concerned, Manny, you could find him at
3: LRM online. And of course, follow him. At, at, you changed your Twitter handle like three times, man. What is it? I I changed it once. And it was because, well, I think it's, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a digital, I'm a digital writer for locally here. And I, I'm unfortunately, not exclusive to to lrm so i i had to make some changes so yeah i'm at manny gomez media and i've only changed it once so don't bring in that
2: see i'm having fun at his his expenses what's going on change it now change it
5: now i'm yeah i'm gonna
2: (laughs) now now he's gonna change it again just because i said change it to
5: james's name
3: oh james loves season four of arrow that's what he's gonna do
2: (laughs) you're gonna i'm gonna put that on my bio now and as far as Josh, is Josh is a throwback because Josh used to be a writer for Batman, Batman Universe. He was one of the one of the one of the main people there. Mm-hmm. So it's what at TBU, Josh still, right? And, yeah,
4: TBU, and I, I still provide content for Batman Universe once in a while. You know, like the editor, you know, and I like we go way back and like I didn't I say didn't leave the site under bad circumstances. I never really left the site. I just started doing stuff for other sites. So. Yes, I am at TBU, Josh, for as long as Twitter is still a thing. Who knows? Maybe Twitter <laughs> will be, um, gone by the time this episode comes out. We don't know. Um, it'll be a challenge to see what ends first, the Arrowverse or Twitter. Stay tuned. Ooh, that's
2: a good one to lay odds <laughs> on right there. I'll have to see what's going on there. But really, follow them all over the place. Josh does great work on DC Comics' website as well, and also Pop First. Make sure you're following on there. And just so many great things. And at Beautiful Ballad, pretty much all of our social media too, by the way. I want to make sure I mention that. Because you can find it on the website, but it's just easier if I tell you where to find them on social media, too. So, guys, thanks so much for doing this. We'll do it again real soon.
4: This is Echo Tellum, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: The return of Criminal Minds with Criminal Minds Evolution has certainly been an amazing one so far in these first few episodes. Episode four actually streaming right now on Paramount+. Plus. I got a chance to catch up this week with showrunner Erica Messer to kind of catch up with her about everything that's happened on the season so far and look forward a little bit, not just to this season, but the future of the show as a whole. So here's what she had to say. A lot of good stuff here. A couple of spoiler alerts, though, if you're not caught up all the way to episode four, might be a couple spoilers mixed in, but I will alert you on each of those questions. So here you go, my conversation with showrunner Erica Messer from Criminal Minds Evolution erica how are you doing
6: i'm doing well james how are you
2: doing very good erica master showrunner for criminal minds evolution joining me this week and it's been a crazy season already We're rolling a few episodes in but the criminal minds fandom erica is a very passionate one you had to go into this season you knowing you were doing something a little bit different with the show so what's the fan reaction been like for you in response to these first few episodes we've seen so far
6: i've been over the moon that the fans have embraced this new version of the show it's fresh and familiar we get to dive in a little bit deeper to everything to our heroes lives to the unsubs to you know going home with our season-long unsub and really getting to dive into what makes everybody tick and we write this show for the fans and we write it as fans so it was very important for us what what did we want to see it's been almost three years since we saw this team on screen What did we want to tell everybody this team's been up to? Have they, is it been business as usual? Which we often say the BAU stands for business as usual. Has it been that? Have they all been separated? How has the BAU been affected by the pandemic and the, you know, working from home, doing more with less, all of that. So it was really coming from all of our experiences as people working in this business where everything shifted and changed. I mean- We're all, we were doing writer's rooms from home and, you know, not really getting to see anybody in person. And it's, it's such a a different take on, on how to collaborate with others and what would that look like for the BAU who collaborates constantly and they're always feeding off of one another's ideas. And what, what if they got split up and how awful would that be for a team that, that is better together? And so this first episode felt like showing that they have, been separated but that there's going to be the biggest case ever that's going to be that that's bad that there's the biggest case ever but the good from that is that they'll get to be back together again
2: and it really shows during these first few episodes but speaking of different you talked about your your unsub Elias course played by the amazing Zachary Guilford Zach Gilford. how do you feel like having this season long unsub has added to the story and how much more are we going to learn about him in these upcoming episodes and 4 and beyond
6: so it's added so much it's it's such a depth of discovery we are showing the intricacies of somebody who has a serial killing addiction but also there's a side of him that completely loves his wife and daughters so the compartmentalization taken to that level isn't something that we ever really get to explore in a 22 episode order, but in a 10 episode order, the BAU is the best of the best catching the worst of the worst. They couldn't get bested by somebody for 22, but they could for 10. And the truth is this guy's been getting away with it for 17 years, but he's a very worthy adversary. He's very smart. We're going to get into his origin story later in the season And you're going to understand that thing that we always want to know, which is what made this person this way, the why of it. Right. So that exploration for Zach to really dive in later in the season, it changes everything. And it it sort of, it colors the audience's view of who he is Mm -hmm. once we really understand that origin and it affects him sort of reliving some of those memories and, and why he became the person he became Becomes part of his, uh, his his devolving,
2: and you can tell we're just stra- scratching the surface of that too. Which I I really can't wait for more of that. Let's talk about the Tyler Green reveal for a second. Spo- spoiler alert for anybody who's not caught up to to episode four yet. But we've seen that he's he was kind of the guy that was going to try to infiltrate the unsub network and did, and we saw what happened. That you had me on that, by the way. You you absolutely had me on that surprise. That was yeah, a really man. good one. Probably the biggest misdirection of the season so far. Talk about what into planning that reveal. And could we see more of Tyler and Allison's story revisited at some point this season?
6: We absolutely will. The Tyler story started in the writer's room, obviously, where we knew by episode three, we wanted to do that misdirect. It This has to be related to him. It's going to be another bad guy. We're going to get him off the street. He's going to have a kill kit and we're going to get answers. And then we didn't. And then it's bigger it's the bigger why. Like, why was this guy going after him? Oh my God, his sister was a victim. He thinks we don't know that for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we gave Tyler the background of Army intelligence. So he's got a little bit of the profiling skill set himself. So when we're talking to him, he kind of knows our game. Right. Mm-hmm. So when he and yep. Garcia have one on one, it's a little, They'd rather be in the room with anyone else but one another because he tricked her and she had a good thing going. And now she's, you know, back fighting darkness again. And so she's she's mad on multiple levels about that guy. But Tyler ends up being a a big part of the season. So you're going to learn a lot more about Tyler and Allison and the journey he was on with Voight. Unknowingly, you know how he found Voight and all of that. So he he becomes a, a pretty big player in this season.
2: That's interesting. That's good to hear. I love that. So yeah. I, I think we understand that the unsub or unsubs are the main villains this season, Erica. There's no question about that. But would you consider Deputy Director Bailey a villain in a sense as well?
6: Oh, I love Bailey. He starts that way, but he has an incredible arc, and it's almost like I look at Voight as being. Voight versus the BAU episodes one through five Voight is getting points on the board. And then in episode six through 10, the BAU starts getting points on the board. Similarly with Bailey, he starts out pretty much a thorn in our side, really, you know, political and wanting the domestic terrorism to get all the credit and all that. And we're like, what are we chopped liver over here? What's going on? And then some things start shifting around episode five and six where he really understands the value of this team and that they are basically a national treasure. And so the BAU on paper and history has been incredible, but he hasn't been connected to them because they've all been scattered. And now that they're back together and he sees how good they are, he can't help but embrace that. So he has a really nice arc this season.
2: If you can make that uphill climb happen, Erica, I'll be really impressed because this dude just irks me on so many levels right now. So I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing how you guys pull that off. <laughs> I'm,
6: I'm so wait. excited. We we're up for the challenge because, you know, we weren't short. We don't want to just keep spinning those wheels. We did not want him to be in a, 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 a just a villain. Right. And we've played that that kind of role before or somebody who's not quite a team member. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Jane Atkinson played Aaron Strauss so beautifully. But ultimately we won her over. Right. So we wanted this to be a little different. He's higher in the political aspirations and he's younger. Our FBI consultant calls him a, a you know, blue flamer. Like he's just going so fast. So up the ladder there. But, but I can't wait. I, we have to talk after um, Bailey's arc. So, so I can see if it worked for you.
2: We're we're definitely <laughs> doing that. Cause I think I could do 10 minutes on just that. So we'll, we'll save that. <laughs> we'll save a little bit more. However, a little bit later. But outside of the case itself, you've you've had some very great character moments so far this season. Again, a little bit of a spoiler alert in case you're not caught up. We saw what's been happening with J.J.'s home life with her husband. We got a big reveal about that. And so how is that going to affect her going forward?
6: Obviously, it's a big blow. And and that's a big blow to any family to get any kind of news like that, that my numbers aren't good. We're not sure what it is. And it could be the worst thing ever. And so they're going to be on a little bit of a journey. To figuring that out and we you know JJ is the only married team member working parent and so for the longest time I was the only working mom on the show and so I've always been really drawn to her character and her struggles and the juggling of home and work and all of that so so JJ and Will really are are important representations of making that work. You know, two parents who are in law enforcement doing the best they can. Sometimes they're the ones that suffer because they're making sure everybody else is safe and good. Right. So that felt really important to me. And now this unseen enemy came in and is affecting Will's health. And so that's something they didn't see coming. Right. So I, I think all of that just shakes everything up as, as it would. And it's, You know, when do I tell my team? How do I tell my team? All of that. So I think AJ and and Josh Stewart just play that so beautifully and really are representative of a lot of families who go through scary health health moments.
2: Definitely keeping our fingers crossed for that one. Erica, before I let you go, when I talked to members of the cast a couple weeks ago, everyone talked about how this show really did feel like a brand new show. Still, if we're going by legacy numbers here, Erica, this is season 16, so... How, what do you feel like the future is for criminal minds beyond this season?
6: I mean, this is, yeah, we just wrapped sweet 16 night. So it was hard to believe that we have 16 seasons in the books, but also feel like we just got started. And I, I, I titled the premiere episode. It was episode 325 of the series and I called it just getting started because I feel like we are, we have this new lease. We, have new opportunities to tell serialized stories to dig in deeper and and to everyone good and bad i think as long as this group of people still want to keep doing this show i, I think we'll just keep doing it with this love and support that we that we get from the fans and and from our home at paramount plus Plus.
2: and that's why you got to keep watching new episodes of criminal of minds evolution debuts debut excuse me every thursday on paramount plus and we are definitely digging it erica master thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate it
6: thank you so much james
2: so if you're wondering as a fan of the show you know what's the future are things going to continue it sounds like everybody's game for more of this so it sounds like criminal minds evolution could be around for a long long time to come and where they're going to go after this season who knows but there's still an amazing several episodes left in season i guess this is season one of criminal minds evolution but the 16th overall make sure you're watching every thursday on paramount plus and i can't wait to see where this story is going to be going because i feel like there's a lot of very interesting stuff still to come based on that conversation again thanks to erica messer for joining me this week to talk about some criminal minds evolution up next we'll talk about dc stargirl the series finale of that show give you my review of that next i'm james Witham. this is the down and nerdy podcast
0: This is Brett Passinger from DC Star Girl, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy
2: podcast. Once more in Blue Valley. Here's my spoiler-filled review of the season three finale, that turns out to be the series finale of DC's Star Girl. And I want to go through the episode first, then I'll talk about the show as a whole for me. And the episode was pretty much what you'd expect. You you know you've got your your ultimate showdown with the Ultra Humanite, and of course. With, with Icicle, and you, you've got the team, which is now kind of back together. They sort of realized what was going on, that Starman or ultra Humanite, however you want to refer to him, was kind of pitting them all against each other and fracturing them, and that's kind of how he ended up being able to keep the staff as well because he kind of shattered Courtney's confidence, too. So we find that out a little bit later on. And then, jo- and then Cameron sort of lures them to the junkyard, and that's where the, the whole battle ensues. The good news was as though that Pat was okay. So we got the nice little throwdown between the team and the, I, I guess, kind of remnants of the Injustice Society or the McKenson ultra humanite, however you want to put it. And the McKenzie just don't like vehicles, do they? I mean, grandma got run over by a, whatever that was, a Chevy or something like that. It was pre, it was pretty wild there. But I loved Yolanda's reaction when she's like, I didn't do it. I thought that that was a nice little, Interesting little callback there to that part of the episode. I mean, the, the, the final battle was, coo- was cool. It was good to see Pat fly in there with Stripe and kind of save the day because it looked like it was going to be ugly for our JSA family and, and when Pat swooped in there to save the day and had that kind of emotional battle with the Ultra-Humanite, which was still in Sylvester's body. And, I mean, that, that was a tough realization for Pat. And I think that was one of the things that, uh, that this season kind of hits you the hardest, right? Was that, and other than that, I mean, there was just so much going on in that fight. Sometimes it was hard to keep track, but I mean, I felt, I felt like everybody got their moment pretty well, pretty well done there and seeing Cameron have to kind of turn against his family in that moment at the end where he's like, you know, I got to go, I got to get away from this. And could you blame the kid for wanting to get away from everything at that point? And then you see Courtney, Courtney really has her hero moment in this battle, where she kind of says, you know, that's that staff doesn't work for you, and then she has her moment where she kind of has the hero pose, and and ha- and get and gets ready to have her showdown with Icicle. That was the most powerful moment I think up to this point for Courtney. It's just a shame that it happened in the series finale. And the fight was over kind of quickly. You know, the first half of the episode was the fight, and then everything else was sort of the aftermath of after that. So it was it really did kind of feel like a wrap up of the series. I love that we got that the Courtney found Becky and, and gave her the note from the gambler, you know, her dad, and sort of wrapped up that storyline. I thought that was neat. Mike seeing his real mom, or his birth mom, I should say, meeting his birth mom, getting to talk to her. I thought that was really nice, and the nice moment from him with him and Barbara where he calls her mom. I thought that was really sweet. I loved that. The fact that, you know, Rick and Beth kind of made their amends with, with, with Beth's parents. We find something out about Rick and Beck uh, Beth at, at the end of the episode. As well, maybe they're getting married or something. No, oh, that's that's an interesting little revelation. And then, you know, you got Solomon Grundy coming back and all this. Thing. I don't want to recap everything that happened in the episode. But it did feel kind of, I don't know. It lacked a certain sizzle and pop for me. I was kind of like, eh, yeah, okay, oh, that's nice. Oh, okay, good, we're doing that. Oh, I mean, I love these characters. I really do. I love these characters together. I think that this show really, really was casted well. I really enjoyed all of the members of the JSA, but here's the problem for me with this particular season was that we've done the fractured team thing a a couple of times on this show now, and you understand, you know, they're teenagers, they're still trying to figure out how to be heroes or if they even wanted to be heroes in the first place, but we've done the whole, you know, team doesn't get along thing a few times, the fact that they spent a lot of this season on that, or at least I felt like it was a lot of this season on that. I felt like, you know, if this is your final season, you really want to waste it doing that sort of thing, but I mean, I guess you try and break them down to build them back up at the same time and but I don't I don't know. I just felt like there there could have been a different angle. They could have done with that. That's why I wish this season of Stargirl could have been a little bit better. But again, it's it's a great show and I'm gonna miss it. I'm gonna miss these characters even though at the end of the episode when, you know, Jay Garrick shows up and he's like, "Hey, guess what? You know, we need the JSA." So and he, that means you too, Shade. Let's roll sort of thing. And then you see the thing at the end that says never the end. Although it, with everything that's going on at DC right now with James Gunn and the DC studios and, and taking over, who knows what the future for this show is, for this character is. I know that Stargirl in itself, I think is done. I think the show's done. I think it was three I think three seasons and were good. And and I think three seasons felt about right. I mean, it, obviously, they mentioned the, the saving of the Seven Soldiers of victory by defeating the Nebula Man. That's probably where we would have gone in Season 4, or at least maybe a little bit beyond from that, because you got the 10-year time jump in there. I, so, I, I don't know, int- kind of interesting to see how that would go. I would have liked to see what would have happened with Artemis after she, you know, flame on with with Icicle, which I thought, man, that's dark for this show, right? Burning icicle alive, which is tough enough to do, but just shows you how deadly and how smart Artemis is too. So, and you know, avenging her parents' death. So that's that's certainly something that you can think about there as well. But um, there, there's certainly some things I I wish we could have gotten a little bit more about from the show. But at the same time, it, it kind of felt like they did find a way. To wrap things up somewhat properly, if not, you know, a little bit abruptly, I, I, I would like to see this stretch out a couple of more episodes, maybe, to tie up the loose ends with a little bit more depth. And, and clearly, they they were told, okay, you know, you're gonna have to wrap it up in this amount of episodes, and and they and they did, but it felt like it was a little bit more rushed. I could have done one, maybe one more episode, maybe not a couple, but at least one more episode. Give me the aftermath in a whole episode. And, of course, finding Sylvester's brain, too. And then we find out that the, the Sylvester, the real Starman, was eventually brought back at some point. We don't really get to see a whole lot of what happened with that. So you kind of see where they could have gone with these future seasons, or future season, at least. So they tease ahead. And will we ever get to see that? Probably not. But, you know, we got three good seasons of DC's Stargirl. I think that probably season one was still the best season for me, anyway, that's just my opinion. And season three, probably the weakest of the three, just because I don't like seeing this team not get along. And I think that, they, that, that season three is when they should have kind of hit their stride and been a team and not had any of those fractured moments. And we got that again, and I was kind of like, ah, really? And I get it with Cindy and everything. I really do get it. But it feels like they could have found that footing a little bit faster, even with the manipulation. So that was my only criticism. Of this season as a whole. But I'm going to miss the hell out of this show. I love this cast. I love these characters. And hopefully we get to see at least some version of these characters again at some point. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my wonderful friends for joining me this week. To talk about the Arrowverse. To Erica Messer. For talking about Criminal Minds Evolution with me this week. So many more of both of those things to come here in the future. Don't forget to find us online at downandnerdypodcast.com. Go all over social media as well, at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. And you can always subscribe to us too, by the way, wherever you get your podcasts. It's the best way to make sure you never miss a show. And thank you so much. If you already do, that really helps the show out a lot. And also remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.